All righty. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Micah chapter 5. We've been, we started this series last week called The Paradox of Christmas. And so we're going to be reading from Micah chapter 5 this morning. Um, If you don't know what a paradox is, a paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory contradictory contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well found or true. So the paradox of Christmas. And so specifically today, we're talking about the paradox of place. Can you look to your neighbor and say the paradox of place? Okay, look to your other neighbor. Maybe you're not sitting by anyone and say the paradox of place. The paradox of place. So we're going to be reading from Micah chapter 5. We're actually only going to be reading one verse today. But to give you a little bit of context, um, the book of Micah was written about, 17, or about 2,700 years ago, about 700 years, six, six or 700 years before um, Jesus was born. Uh, he was one of the minor prophets, and he wasn't considered a minor prophet because his stuff wasn't significant, but minor because of the length of the book. The book is only about seven chapters long. Um, He was a Hebrew man that was called by God to be a prophetic voice. And uh, he was calling out the sinful practices of the day. He was in the northern kingdom. And actually, prophetically, he spoke of Assyria and Babylon. Assyria, which was going to be um, uh, taking over the northern kingdom, and Babylon, which would be taking over the southern kingdom. Prophetically, he spoke of both of those things. And so it's a book of, that speaks not only of God's judgment and wrath, but also it speaks of God's hope and God's deliverance. And so you can actually see pieces in the book of Micah that speak specifically of the Messiah, of Jesus. And so um, he prophetically is speaking of something that wasn't going to happen for another, I mean, Jesus wasn't going to happen for another 700 years. And so here he is speaking, and he's, through the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and through the power of God, he's speaking of what's going to be happening. And so here in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, again, we're going to be talking about the paradox of place this morning. It says this, it says, but you Bethlehem, Ephrathah, can you look at your neighbor and say Ephrathah? Yeah, exactly, it's hard to say. But you Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Let me read that again. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. God, I just thank you for your word, which is living and active and powerful, and I I pray that your word will just minister to us this morning, and I pray that you'll do your mighty work this morning. Father, I ask that once again, you use this imperfect person, to uh, bring forth your perfect word. And I pray that um, you'll encourage us this morning. Maybe you'll convict some of us this morning. 
I pray that you will um, remind us of your promises this morning. I pray that you will um, just move in a mighty way this morning in your holy name. Amen. You know, you can tell a lot about a person by where they're from, right? You can tell a lot about a person from their heritage, from their background. You can tell a lot about a person from their family tree. Um, I grew up in southeastern Minnesota. Praise the Lord. No one? Okay. I grew up in southeastern Minnesota. And um, my last name, Distad, my wife disagrees with me, but I've been told this my whole life. My last name, Distad, actually means two farms. And so one of my relatives many, many years ago, I think had two farms, which is kind of exciting. Um, there is actually a, um, a village in Norway where my descendants are from that is called Distad. So um, it's in the mountains, it's in the hills, it's like there's, there's, like, a, there's like a lake there. It looks awesome. And so I've been told... My, my, I have this, 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 this lady that I, 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 she found me on Facebook. I guess she's my grandma's cousin. She found me on Facebook. She said, you need to go to Distad because we have a bunch of relatives there. And so I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Like, I'd like to go to Distad in Norway and uh, be able to visit my relatives. But I, th- I feel like you can tell a lot about a person by where they're from. Jed is from Tecumseh. You can tell a lot about him from that, right? I mean, Tecumseh, you know, okay, okay, you know, people, <laughs> you can tell a lot about people by where they're from. Um, Judy is from, her family's from Kentucky, so you can tell a lot about Judy by where she's from. You can tell a lot about people about where they're from. You can do about their origins and their family heritage, and, you know, a lot of people go to great lengths, to go and find out more about their family tree, and they go to great lengths to find out about their historical background. And so it's interesting here that in this passage in Micah, Micah, prophetically through the Holy Spirit, again, says that out of Bethlehem, Ephrathah was going to come the Messiah, right? There were actually two Bethlehems in um, in Israel back then, there was one to the north and then there was one to the south. And, but he specifically says in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Bethlehem means house of bread and Ephrathah means the fruit of the vine. The house of bread and the fruit of the vine. Now, Bethlehem, Ephrathah was located about five miles southwest of Jerusalem. Still is. Um, Many scholars think that it was probably a, a smaller village at the time, maybe two or 300 people. Um, Bethlehem sits about 2,500 feet above sea level, mild climate, fertile fields, plenty of rain, good place for farming. Good place for farming. But Bethlehem wasn't a metropolis. It wasn't a big city. It was kind of off the beaten path. It wasn't, I mean, it was close to Jerusalem, but it, was, it wasn't in Jerusalem. Again, it was like five miles away. It's not a big, it's, so when someone says that they're from Bethlehem, it almost be like someone saying they're from Reamer. Have you heard of Reamer? A couple of you guys, Reamer? You know, Reamer? So our family used to visit we used to go on vacation up in northern Minnesota, and there was this town called Reamer. And Reamer was small, 
In fact, I think the population is about 350 people. It's not much. I think there's one stoplight. There's a, junk, there's a gas station slash uh, grocery store. Slash, it's called the Junction, where you can go there and you can get ice cream. Um, they have a cemetery that's outside of town, and it's supposed to be the birthplace of Bigfoot. Okay, and, but, but if someone says that they're from Reamer, it's not very exciting. It's like, okay, Reamer, where, where's Reamer at? Now you have to go and check it out. Reamer, Minnesota, check it out on your map. It's a small, very kind of insignificant place, and it's a place, it's like, it's like I, Bethlehem. It's not, it's not a terribly exciting place. It's a rural place. It's a place where there's, there's rain, and it's a place where it's, it's, it's good for farming, but there's not, there's not anything terribly exciting about Bethlehem. It was kind of a nowhere type of place. It was a place that was just a small village outside of Jerusalem. And this small village, strangely enough, appears to be a spot where a lot of biblical things were happening. Like you look throughout scripture and you see the different things that happened in Bethlehem. And there, there was actually a lot of things. Again, this is a small, kind of insignificant, off the beaten road place was a spot where a lot of things in the Bible happened. In fact, if you go back and you look through scripture, you can see that it was kind of a, it was, it was a spot where, 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 where many things happened. Jacob's wife, Rachel, in Genesis chapter 35, actually died in Bethlehem. Caleb settled in Bethlehem. Ruth met Boaz in Bethlehem. When the prophet Samuel was looking for a new king, because King Saul had wandered, when he was looking for a new king, he went to the house of Jesse that was in Bethlehem. When, when David was anointed as king, he was crowned as king. It was in Bethlehem. So you wonder, why would God choose such a small place to bring about his promises throughout scripture. Again, this was kind of a, a nowhere type of place. It was a small place. Not, not too much was exciting in Bethlehem. It was kind of a farming, rural place. It was not much. So why would God choose such a small place? The paradox of place. Why would he choose such a small place, such a little place, such an unlikely place, a place that was kind of out of the way, the paradox of place. Think about, it this, think about this for a moment. I mean, God, who is all-powerful, he's omniscient, omnipresent, speaking the world into existence, creator of the universe, light of the world, the eternal world, the eternal word, no beginning, no end, power over life, power over death, never-ending kingdom, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the eternal high priest, brought his son into the world through Bethlehem. A little place, a small place, a seemingly insignificant place. I mean, why didn't he pick a place like, he could have picked a place like Greece, he could have picked a place like Rome, he could have picked a place like Jerusalem, he could have picked a place like Taylor, Michigan, He he could have picked any sort of place, but he picked a place, the paradox of place. He picked a place that was small, little, unlikely, unassuming, almost insignificant. I think Bethlehem reminds us, again, the paradox of place. Bethlehem reminds us this morning that God finds pleasure in small things. God 
finds pleasure in small things. God sees potential in small things. And, you know, you can't say, oh, of course Jesus was going to, the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem because Bethlehem is so, you can't really say much there. But God sees potential and finds pleasure in small things. When he wanted to replace Saul as king, he went to Bethlehem and he found the youngest son of Jesse. And when David went and he fought Goliath, we see that he was just a small boy who used small stones and he used a sling to defeat the Goliath. A little town, a small boy, a slingshot, a teenage girl, Mary, fisherman, tax collector. God likes to use small things. He finds pleasure in small things. And so you might be here this morning, you might feel like, man, I really don't have much to offer. I feel like I'm just here, and I, I feel like there are so many people that are more qualified than I am. I feel like, the, I feel like there are so many, I feel so small and insignificant. And I want to encourage you this morning that you are in good position because it's in the lowly and in the small things that God likes to use us. Check it out in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29. It says, brothers and sisters... Think about you when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not when many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Amen? God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Amen? And God chose the lowly things of this world to despise uh, the things and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. God loves to use small things. Little towns, insignificant towns, small boys, slingshots, a a teenage girl, fishermen. He loves to use small things. And I'll maybe take it a step further and say that not only does God like to use small things, but also God blesses small steps. He likes to use small things, but I think that he also blesses small steps. You know, I think sometimes when God speaks to us, we feel like, you know, oh, yeah, you know, it has to be through the thunder and clap of lightning. Or sometimes when we, we feel like if, if, if we need to move in the Lord, it needs to be a huge, vast move. Like, like, like when we think of steps, sometimes we think it has to be a supercalifragilisticexpialidocious type of step, like a big, massive step where it has to be a life-changing step, an amazing, big step. Like, you know, like, I will follow the Lord to the ends of the earth and I will become a missionary and go to China right now. Or I'm going to quit my, I don't know, I'm going to sell all my possessions and, and, and become a, a gypsy and, you know, become an evangelist and travel around the world, praise the Lord. Like sometimes we feel like it has to be like a huge, supercalifragilistic, expialidocious type of step. Am I right? But I think that God blesses the small steps. It might seem like it's insignificant. It might seem like it doesn't make much of a difference. But God blesses the small steps. I mean, he blesses the big steps too. Don't get me wrong. Like when we make those huge acts of faith, like God blesses that as well. But I think sometimes we miss out on the truths that God blesses the small things and he blesses the small steps. Man, it might just seem like I am, I just don't quite understand 
but I've just been reading my Bible daily. A small step. You know, I, I, I feel like I've, I, I need to pray for someone, and I've just been praying for them, and it's not a, it's not a huge step of faith, but it's a small step. You know, I, I feel like, you know, I, I need to start having devotions with my family. It's, it's not, a huge, not a huge step, but it's a small step. I, I feel like maybe I should start bringing my, my Bible to work. I, maybe I should start reading, bringing it and reading it on my lunch break. It's not a huge step, but it's a small step. Did you know that God blesses the big things, but God also blesses the small things? You know, in Scripture it says that if we have faith as, as big as a mustard seed, a small thing, a small thing. I think sometimes we, we miss out on the small things because we're looking for the big things. We're looking for the big act of God. We're looking for the clash of lightning. But God blesses the small things. Faithfully reading your Bible, faithfully, faithfully giving, faithfully raising your family, faithfully being above reproach and high, heading, setting a higher standard for yourself. God blesses the small things. The paradox of place. The paradox of place. Not, not only does Bethlehem remind us that God finds pleasure in small things, but I think Bethlehem also reminds us that God keeps his promises. The paradox of place. I'm going to remind you this morning that the Lord keeps his promises. Yeah, well, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure if the Lord keeps his promises. I mean, if you knew what he promised me and what, what's happened in my life, you would know that the Lord does not keep his promises. I'm not sure if he does. I'd like to argue with that. You know, you think, you think about the people that Micah was writing to. Again, this happened 700 years before the Lord. 700 years. So think about this. So, so, so Micah writes this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through the inspiration of the Lord. He writes this. And then think about all the time that lapsed. So he writes this, and after this happens, the Assyrians destroy the northern kingdom. Then the Babylonians destroy the southern kingdom. Then the Israelites are held captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And then they come back and they begin to rebuild the wall. And they begin to rebuild the temple. And, and then once that starts happening, then, then, then there's 400 years of silence. 400 years of intertestament, intertestamental silence where we don't even know what happened. So he speaks, he says, hey, listen, the... There's going to be one that, 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 that comes from you who's going to be a ruler. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So, so he speaks that. The northern kingdom falls. The southern kingdom falls. They're in captivity. They come back. And then there's 400 years of silence, okay? Now, if you were one of those people that you'd heard the prophet Micah and you knew the scripture, and you knew that a ruler, like he'd prophesied that a ruler was going to come, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. And it's not just, it's not just a, a year. It's not just 
two years. It's not three years. It's not four years. It's not 10 years. It's not 20 years. It's not 50 years. It's not, it's not 70 years, but it's 700 years before the promise is fulfilled, okay? Would you be maybe a little hesitant in thinking, well, like, Micah was on something. That guy did not know what he was talking about. But check it out in Luke chapter 2. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to be registered. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Because he belonged to the house and line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room available for them. You know, Bethlehem reminds us, first of all, that God finds pleasure in small things. But second of all, Bethlehem reminds us that God is faithful to his promises. And you have to remember that, and it's it's, it's interesting here, because it's almost like, okay, it it is like Micah knew um, through the inspiration of the Spirit that this was going to take a long time. Because if you look at the second part of the verse, if you look at it, it says, uh, so so again, but you, Bethlehem, Atherfah, that you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Then if you look at the, Look at the second half. Whose origins are from old, from ancient times. From ancient times. Now, it's interesting because this, this phrase, ancient times, is, is similar to a phrase that is used of the Lord that's found in the book of Daniel that is ancient of days. Ancient times, ancient of days. Follow me here. An ancient of days is literally translated before days were. Before days were. Before days were. The ancient times, ancient of days. Before, speaking of, prophetically speaking of, of Jesus, before days were. I think he, what he was trying to tell his listeners was that God is omniscient, omnipresent. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. He, 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 is, he, he, is not, he is not captive to our time frame. He's not captive to our time frame. But he's faithful to his promises. You know? You think about Bethlehem meaning house of bread and Ethrapha meaning the fruit of the vine. Ethrapha, they, most scholars believe that was an older name for Bethlehem. That, like when it was a Canaanite village, it was called Ethrapha, which meant fruit of the vine. And when the, 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 the Jewish people came in, they, they renamed it Bethlehem. But even you think about the name, fruit of the vine, 
and the bread and the house of bread, uh, the, the wine and the bread, it was prophetically speaking of the coming Messiah. I think sometimes when we're in our situation and when things seem difficult and we just don't entirely know what's going on, sometimes we feel like the people of Israel. It's like we're, we're calling out to the Lord and we're like, God, when are you going to do what you promised? I've been faithful. I've been, um, I, I, I've been doing the things that I need to do. I know your promises. And yet I, I, I feel like you're, you're just not moving in the way that I was hoping that you would. And I feel like it's a reminder this morning that, that God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his promises and the worship team can come back up. A paradox of place. A paradox of place. Bethlehem reminds us that God finds pleasure in small things. And Bethlehem reminds us that God keeps his promises. Maybe you have a a dream in your heart. Maybe you have an inspiration in your heart that you really feel the Lord placed there. Maybe it's a Maybe it's a ministry or maybe God has placed someone on your heart that you just, you really feel like he's going to be, he's going to bring back to him. Maybe it's a loved one that's strayed away. You feel like you've, man, the Lord has given you this promise and you just haven't seen the fulfillment of it. You kind of feel like you're in a paradox of place. You know, his promises but you haven't seen the fulfillment. You almost feel like the people of Israel in, in the intertestamental period where it's just silence. I think the Lord this morning wants to minister to you and remind you that the Lord is faithful to his promises. The Lord is faithful to his promises. Bethlehem reminds us that God finds pleasure in small things. And Bethlehem reminds us that God keeps his promises. Lord, this morning I just uh, pray over um, those who are here, those who are listening online. Father, I just pray that your spirit will move in them this morning. Maybe, maybe there are some people here that have been feeling discouraged. Maybe they feel like they're kind of in a paradox of place, like they know your promises. They kind of have a taste of what you've promised them, but they're not seeing it in the here and the now, Father. And I just pray right now that you'll, again, that you'll encourage them and that you'll strengthen them this morning, Father. I pray that you'll move in them and that your, uh, your mighty right hand will uplift them this morning, Father. Maybe there are people here this morning that feel like um, they are small and insignificant significant. Maybe they feel like their talents or their skills or, or what they, 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 they might feel, again, they might feel like they're small and insignificant. And Father, again, I pray this morning that you'll encourage them and that you'll remind them that you love to use small things for your glory and for your power, God. And as we sing this song one last time, may you receive the glory and the praise.